0: reality radio for a really great future we're talking real money
1: welcome once again to the podcast the video cast the all-purpose cast we cast we cast lines everywhere we cast aspersions. we cast off we can't we're castaways we're casting to you on the podcast the video cast uh called talking real money and today well first off I just want to introduce myself. I'm Don McDonald, one of your two hosts for our exciting edition of the program. Over there in the room you've never seen on the video cast, it's Tom live from Aircraft Alley. You see yeah, there's I a I Yeah,
2: I cast a very wide aircraft net. Yeah. If that's okay, so-
1: That's better than casting aspersions, as I alluded to earlier.
2: Well, we might get to that soon, too. So we have the family wall.
1: We need Mm -hmm. to do, by the way,
2: just a little housekeeping. Oh, no. Set keeping. Yes. Uh, Can you please straighten your darn pictures up? I know. They're very crooked. Uh, You know, here's my personal take I do from time to time set them straight, and then I wake up and they're crooked. I think the people associated with them, many who are now gone, play with them at
1: night. Yeah. No, it's just. Natural settling of homes in <laughs> Probably seismically active Washington state. <laughs> Good point. Good point. All right. Hi, this is it. This is the big show. We're so glad you decided to be a part of it. And this show is particularly big for us. It's a really, really, really big day. It's such a big day. It's a big day for Tom, but big day for me, too. Because often when we do the show from Tom's little home studio on Saturdays, we are interrupted by
2: the leaf blower, not just the leaf blower, the biggest darn leaf blower you ever seen. It's like six foot long or something. At nine thousand, okay. whatever. We are
1: interrupted by ah, yeah, the killer leaf blower. Yeah, it's it's kind of you know, and this is we're almost at Halloween, and so yeah. I was really expecting it to be kind of like the chainsaw massacre thing with the <laughs> chase with me the leaf around blower, the house with coming leaf after blower. Tom
2: but but. We will not have a leaf blower to kick around anymore. Well, that may or may not be true. What if my new neighbor has a leaf blower? Maybe we should put up a sign right at the front of that no, neighborhood. No, no leaf no, blowers in no. this neighborhood. I, I have a solution Oh, what's for your new ahead. neighbor. Oh, please. You, it's a
1: very neighborly thing to do. When they arrive in the neighborhood, when you uh-huh. see the moving van pull yes. up, you go get one of those big honking battery-powered leaf blowers. They'd only go... Very quiet.
2: Oh, I give and them that as a that, gift. It's a as a welcome wow. to the neighborhood. And normally gift. we've given them cookies, which that's probably the reason no. people don't like us in the neighborhood. Right. Okay. Leaf blowers. Fair. Go with leaf okay. blowers. Right. Battery powered Amazon. Here I come. Stand yep. ready.
1: Yep. So uh yeah. Um and uh, because it's nice to help people,
2: isn't it? it, isn't it, it? It's nice. Yeah.
1: I- and and that's what we try to do on this program, on this podcast, on this video cast. We're trying to help people. And you can join us here. Uh, by sending us questions or calling them in to eight five five nine three five 935 talk or uh, typing them in at TalkingRealMoney.com. But we also are something bigger, something more, well, no, I guess the podcast is bigger. We're We're something more specific. We are also fiduciary investment advisors. We don't plug that much on the show because we really want this to be a great source of information for everybody and we don't want you to feel like you need to become our client because we don't think you do. We think some of you do but not all of you. But many of you do need financial advice. And that's a big reason why we're here because so much of the financial advice is so bad and there's so much confusion about what financial advisors do. There was recently an article in the Wall Street Journal about what should you look for in a financial advisor and so we decided to devote a big part of this episode to what financial the right kind of financial advisors should do, and what kind of financial uh, <laughs> fin- advisor should be a, what di- kind of financial advisor you should be looking for?
2: Not those from Namibia. I said it right this time, right? N- Namibia. N- N- no, N- okay. wait. Didn't quite no get N- it. N- Never mind. All right, never mind. All right. So the uh, let, but we go through some of this. so I don't want to spend too much time on it. But you should only only yes, we only do ever want to spend hire more time on it. Period. A. 100% 100% fiduciary advisor that means it can't somebody it can't be somebody who's duly registered that means they cannot sell insurance products because they are not 100% fiduciary advisors that seems an easy one and it's a small number in this industry shockingly because most people have conflicts of interest that's one right number 2 mm-hmm. uh, truly the products that they use should be low cost index or index style, mutual funds or exchange traded funds. Our portfolios, just to brag it up a little bit, this is still shocks me. The average expense ratio on the exchange traded funds, 0.10. Let me say that again, 0.10. It wasn't that long ago when the average mutual fund was charging 1.0. I mean, so it's- Right, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I mean, so the products keep getting better and better, frankly, and your advisor They could keep the same beliefs, but they should be moving along with those new products. No question about that. Number three for me, Don, would be have a third-party custodian. I don't like the idea of people handing their money off to others. You use the Bernie Madoff example, but for every Bernie Madoff, there's 200 others. You never hear about people that hand brokers their money, picking on brokers here, advisors, and the money disappears. If you have a third-party custodian, that does not happen now the Wall Street Journal went into some other ideas about sort of do, do you pick an advisor who focuses on the area you're looking for I think that might make sense most advisors focus on retirement which we think makes sense because that's when you need an advisor maybe you need somebody to help plan college or a general financial situation at age 40 but for the most part tax planning uh, but let me give you the list I I came up with two lists Don you're gonna love this two lists two whole two lists, lists. One list is the things. You're doing a lot
1: more homework than usual.
2: I know. I don't know why. One list is the things I think you should look for in advisor. The other one is the things that I think people have a tendency to look for, but are wrong to look for. So number one, I think this is critical. Your advisor should use the same strategy they have for probably over a decade. In other words, there's people that come along and they do this, uh, They maybe a stock picker for a while, and then they try mutual funds a little bit. And then, oh, I heard about this other new thing with some passive funds. So maybe I do a little bit of that, a little bit of something else. No, I want a person that's had a consistent belief for a long period of time. You and I have matched up for, you know, like 30 years, way back. So, and our opinion has not changed. Now, again, as I've just mentioned, the product sometimes changes. I was going to say, the, opinion, the, the, same. The, the, the
1: concept remains the same. The means by which we implement it will change as better vehicles come along or easier ways of doing things that reduce the costs.
2: No question. Um, here's another one that I think is reasonably uh, reasonable to consider. This relationship you have with an advisor should be personal. Um, I, I I think you should find somebody that that you match up with that that fits your personality. But can I qualify that just a Absolutely. bit? Absolutely.
1: A lot of people. Think of this as a personal relationship. And that sometimes is a problem. We have to make sure you understand that it is a business relationship in which you have a personal connection with the person. That doesn't mean that you, you should go work with your son-in-law who is just, has just gotten a job with New York life or, you know, no, it's not that personal. You, it's business first, but there needs to be a connection because this person, this advisor, is going to be a member of your extended family, you hope, for a very long time, if you pick the right one.
2: Yeah, my son-in-law I keep it at arm's length, but that's all that. But what I was getting to there was I most advisors probably should not have more than 100 or 125 clients. You start getting past that, and a, a firm I used to work at, I think somebody had like 250 clients, and I always thought, wow, how do you keep track of people? How are you really paying attention to their needs, of getting in touch with them regularly? That doesn't make sense to me. Here's another one I think you should consider. You really should work with an advisor who does not talk over your head. If I go into your place of work and you're working on whatever, you're going to know more about that than I am. I don't like people that try to impress me with everything they know. I want to know the basics. I want to understand things at a level that's important to me. Your advisor should be the same way. That's why. We've done the podcast and the books and, and the website, all because we want you to know how this works. You would never come into my office and walk out the door after 90 minutes and go, I have no idea what he's talking about. And yet I talk to some of you who say that when you meet with other advisors, which brings me to my last one, which is something we've even done on this podcast. And that is, we're willing to admit sometimes when we don't know everything, your advisor shouldn't be the know it all. I don't know everything about social security or long-term, I don't. I know some things, I know general things, but there's a little caveat and every situation is a little different. That's why sometimes on the show, when people call, we say, it depends because oftentimes it does. There's a lot of nuance to these. So your advisor should be humble enough to say, I don't know the answer yeah, to that. That
1: ain't likely because well, it should,
2: not well, I mean, the question, because the, the, an
1: advisor, the typical advisor, which we used to call a stockbroker. Is was that person and still wants to be that person who apparently knows, can divine the future. We, because of our incredible research, know what's going to happen in the future, and you need to be with us so we can tell you what's coming. But that's not the case. And so what they do is they pretend to have knowledge they can't have. And as Tom said, they make it really complicated because, well... (laughs) You have
2: heard the saying, baffle them with BS. Mm -hmm. It happens a lot in this business. Okay. Let's talk about a few things that I think people do consider, but they should not. Number one, top of my list is age. Yeah. And I'm an old white guy. I get it that I'm old and people look at me and think, well, he must know everything because he's an old guy. He's been around forever. That's not true. Some of the young guys we have work for who are like thirty years old. They know how the planning software better. They work all this stuff more regularly because they're not running a business. Oh, well,
1: they definitely know the technology better than you. <laughs> well, there's
2: that. But then, in, in a good firm, I think the the, the rationale clients have is: Well, I want to hire the old guy because he's been through a bear market. I want to hire the old guy because he knows which investments to pick. But a good firm gives you nothing to deal with either one of them. In other words, your emotional makeup should be able to hold somebody else in a bad market. And number two, a good investment advisory firm does not allow its advisors to pick pick and choose. Like I'll take two of these and three of these. No, the portfolios are constructed for them by people that do this as a job, Uh, which brings me to number two. I think people way overrate credentials. Yes, CFP is a great credential to have. CFA, maybe not so much. And for people the t- people
1: who create the portfolios, maybe, but Indeed. not for the person you deal with day no. in and day out. But I think no.
2: people think just because you're a CFP, that means you're going to be a great advisor. Not true. It means you're going to be you know independent in some way or give me great advice. Not true. We know a lot of CFPs that sell products. So it doesn't make you a better investment advisor. Here's the other one. And I can say this now, since we're at $700 million assets under management size, people have a tendency to think, I don't want to work with a smaller firm because I don't trust them. I'd rather take my money to Fidelity or Merrill or one of those other places. I don't think that's true at all. Uh, And I don't even know there's a minimum amount a firm should have before you really should trust them. I'm not a fan of single solo kind of practices because I always worry if something happens to that advisor, then what? which I think is a legitimate concern. Yeah, But in a general sense, if they're a registered investment advisor, hundred percent fiduciary using low cost products, they're people you probably can trust. It doesn't need to be Fidelity, Merrill Lynch, whoever, the big, huge firms. In fact, I think you'll get a better experience from the smaller ones. So I, that's not something I would put into my decision-making if I was trying to decide on an advisor. And let
1: me throw this in because we talk about the fiduciary aspect. And- today everyone who provides financial advice almost everyone except maybe insurance agents and even they're trying consider themselves to be a fiduciary they're looking out for their clients best interests because otherwise if they didn't convince themselves of that lie they wouldn't be very convincing to you their their potential clients but the fact of the matter is there was a recent another recent article that uh, about financial advisors said that there were approximately, 10,000 registered investment advisors. Now that refers to a firm, not individuals. The individuals are investment advisor representatives. Correct. The RIAs are the firms and that there are about 10,000 roughly registered investment advisors with the SEC in the United States. Of those, of those, just those, this is not stockbrokers and insurance agents, of just that group, less than 3,000. Less than three thousand are one hundred percent fiduciaries. In other words, they don't have an insurance license to sell insurance or a securities license to sell stocks and bonds. They're not a broker-dealer, too. So it's a, the key is you got to find one that twenty-five to thirty percent that aren't affiliated with a broker-dealer and aren't dually registered then then you can start sorting from them as to who has the best fee structure, who provides the services you want, and that kind of stuff. But it's important that you whittle it down to that group first. And I got to tell you, then when you throw the stockbrokers in and all the insurance agents who claim to be financial advisors, you're looking at, numbers say, about 1% of all the financial advisors out there, people who give financial advice, are always required to act in your best interest.
2: And that's, that's really sad. the person you want. There's, I agree. It's sad, but that's the person you want. I think we have a list on our website of a few folks that we know and trust few. that that you could start with that would give you an idea of where to head.
1: Right. And we also have a really cool list at talkingrealmoney.com slash help where you can look at some of the bigger advisory firms. And I've actually marked whether they're always a fiduciary oh. or not always a fiduciary and you can see what their maximum fee is, and you're going to be shocked.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's you're going to be still, shocked.
1: Go look your guy up.
2: Or shocking. Gal. Yeah. 2.5%, 3%, 2. 2. And and et cetera. I, I was going to say, Crazy. if you're with
1: Ameriprise, the highest fee they can charge as a fiduciary is 3%. Isn't that nuts? They're, we don't charge that, Don. Oh, yeah, my, that's what mm-hmm. they say, but it's in your ADV. That if you could. don't charge that, wouldn't it be a competitive advantage to put 1%
2: in there? Indeed, it would. So- And again, I think that's a fair, I think one is fair. Anything North of that is too much. Right. And, and and one
1: is where you start really about 1% is where most advisors should start one, 1.1, somewhere in there. But as your assets grow, your fee as a percentage should go down. It should, it's not that much harder to manage 2 million than it is to
2: manage one. Graduate. Yes, I agree. So. There's some tips
1: for finding a financial advisor. If you need a little bit of help from one and we don't, we're not asking you to become our clients. If you want to, that'd be great. But we do try to provide help to everybody. See, I edit this part out where Tom is pointing to himself. Yeah, Be our clients. Uh, no. <laughs> okay. Don't be ask our clients. for
2: free help. Yes, that's true.
1: We do that for everybody mm-hmm. because we know that there are some do-it-yourselfers who just need a little more guidance, or there are people who are, you know, lost. They're looking at their portfolio and they're they're literally the folks who said, "I don't know what my stockbroker told me. I don't yeah. even
2: know what this stuff is." Or I was told this is a very special annuity one that I really had to have, but it doesn't sound like it when I hear your podcast. Hmm, we'll look at it for you
1: probably because it's not just go to veststory.com, v-e-s-t-o-r-y.com uh and set up an appointment or call 800-386-3004 if you have questions for the podcasts call 855-935-talk or go to talkingrealmoney.com. and boy do we we have just been piling up the questions tom this means piling i can write
2: up. something down now piling okay. them All you right. want one go ahead well we got time for one Running That's a little all? Late. We're all running right. a little late here. Yeah, go. We'll do one. All right.
1: Hey, guys. Thanks so much for your podcast. By the way, you're the one who ran a little long, long-winded. I know. I, was, I Well, I did my homework this time. You did. Thanks so much for your podcast. After listening to you, I finally feel like I could start implementing an actual investment strategy instead of just making random picks and
2: crossing my fingers.
1: I love that. They really should teach this stuff in school. Yeah.
2: Well, they My do. question... You should have come to my class. I just taught it two weeks ago.
1: My question is on small cap value funds. I am divorced, 40 years old, with no kids, and my only debt is my mortgage. I scored a 77 on the risk quiz and feel comfortable to be all in equities for at least the next 10 to 15 years. I have a Roth 401k, an individual rollover IRA, and a regular after-tax brokerage account. In the Roth 401k, I only have one option for small cap, which is FSSNX, and no value option, so this is an easy pick, but for the rollover IRA and the brokerage account, is there a fund you can recommend? Yes, Tom, I have Victor Tango,
2: yeah, no, actually this is very easy, but I was Oh uh, wait, up- I got more, I got more. I'm okay, I'm going to look up FSSNX. Should I consider
1: VB, Vanguard Small Cap, VBR, Vanguard Small Cap Value, VTV, Vanguard Value Index or something else? I do hear you say to overweight this category in an all equity portfolio. What percentage do you recommend? Actually, we don't say to
2: well we only compare to what the cap market capitalization yeah, correct. Is.
1: You just yes. have you you use your VT and then you add some small cap to increase your small cap valuation, but we usually say about what about ten percent of the but equity. No, it's portion. about twenty.
2: You take V T plus okay. twenty, but plus twenty percent. By the way, I looked up the FSSNX. That's a Fidelity Small Cap Index. That's a very good fund. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing That's feel a great bad. way
1: to get small cap.
2: Yeah. You don't, as you said, have value. Here's what I would do. If it was mine and I had the VT, I would do VT plus AVUV. That is Avantis's U.S. small cap value fund. It is going to tilt more to value than I think any of the Vanguard uh, small cap values will give you. It uh, It is very inexpensive. It can be traded for nothing, and uh, it's more tax-efficient if this isn't a taxable account. So for those reasons, I would favor that product for exposure to U.S. small-cap value,
1: AVUV. AVUV, and it yeah. does have a serious Value tilt, yeah. Um, so here's
2: just, the thing when I just you, want you to say look at overweight
1: VBR by comparison,
2: yeah, what we're saying about overweight is if you look at the world in terms of market capitalization and you just put your assets out there according to that, you end up with a portfolio that is really, really, really a lot in you in U.S. large uh, growth or U.S. large blend, and especially a uh, global large blend because those companies are huge compared to the small all we're saying is instead of just doing that which is uh, the the VT is going to be tilted if you will to US large growth or US large blend adding in a separate fund that has the the tilt to US or is only by the way the US small cap value will put more in that asset class than you would have if you just did it by market capitalization. That sort of tilt, if you will, has meant a greater return for a very long period of time going back, I believe, to 1926. So that's why.
1: Wow. And AVUV is dramatically more uh, heavily tilted toward both smaller and value. It's a smaller cap fund and then, it's more of a value fund. But the, on, the only downside I see to AVUV, and I want to be real, real real upfront about it, is the VBR has an expense ratio of seven one hundredths of 1%, seven basis points. Yep. The AVUV, the Avantis US small cap value is 25 basis points. Yep. So that's that's, that's some friction to overcome.
2: It is some friction. As you said, uh, the tilts are stronger there in it. So therefore we would expect that that would make up for the additional expense ratio. We won't know that for many years. The fund hasn't even been around that long, a couple of years. So okay, it started
1: it, in 19. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So a couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, and again, uh, those are things fine at the edges. Your thinking is absolutely right, but I would be tempted to use VT plus, AVUV to give you a little greater exposure to small and to value certainly than you get in a sort of global index fund.
1: That does it. We're going to wrap this episode up because we did go a little longer than we like to go. Um, thanks for being a part of it. If you love what you hear, please tell your friends. Um, I, I, and, or anybody else you bump into, I just told the, uh, the pest, my new pest control guy, (laughs) he started listening didn't did it work. It didn't it, it, work. You're still it, there. The yeah, pest no, control no, guy no. didn't get the job done. Well, he says it could take a little while.
2: Okay. Well, breathe uh, in a little heavier, would you? Come on. And,
1: and uh, and it's so funny cause he called me, he said, I'm coming by to do your service cause I signed the contract yesterday and, but he calls up and he goes, uh, Don, uh, just want to let you know, Don is always right.
2: Oh man. And that, what a bonus deal for you. So yeah, good did for you.
1: Actually listen to the podcast. Yeah, so I tell your friends. Did. Leave a review at Apple Podcasts if you love us. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts if you have Apple Podcasts, because that really helps boost us in the rankings. And take really great care of yourselves. And we'll probably be back here tomorrow with another podcast, maybe even a video cast, cool. if things go well. We cannot, I cannot guarantee the video casts because too many things go wrong with syncing audio and video. This is new technology w- that we're using. And hey hey, hey, hey. go weird on us but thanks for being there take good care of yourselves i'm don mcdonald over there is tom cock we're hanging out all the time in tom's little airplane room talking real money
0: talking real money Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?